Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa from an African perspective and we're coming to you live in Johannesburg, South Africa. We are on the frequencies 7230 kHz on the 41 meter band to Southern Africa and on 15255 kHz on the 19 meter band to West Africa as well as DSTV's audio bouquet Channel 802. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Anne Musa, Tabisolo Hoko and Neto Chimani. In our top stories in Africa, rise and shine at the Sawa. Zimbabweans bid farewell to late opposition leader Morgan Tangarai. Aid agencies warn of worsening humanitarian crisis in the DRC. And fierce debate erupts over land reforms in South Africa. In economics news, Glencore and Rand Gold to challenge mining law changes in the DRC. And in sports news, South Africa prepares for World Rugby Under-20 Championships. But first up, the news with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you, I'm Anne Musa. Zimbabwe's opposition MDC leader Morgan Shangirai will be buried in his home village of Buera in the east of the country. He died in a Johannesburg hospital in South Africa last Wednesday at the age of 65 after a long battle with cancer. Zimbabweans gathered in the centre of the capital Harare on Monday for a public memorial service in honour of Shangirai. Ifit Musakiwa has more on his funeral. They're going to start proceeding early. They want to have speeches before the actual uh, process of laying him to rest. He actually got confirmation that Raila Odina, the leader of the opposition in Kenya, was also very close to Morgan Shangirai. is now in the country. He was not able to speak at the memorial service. So we anticipate that he will speak at the burial. By 2 o'clock, they should have finished the proceedings and they should have buried their leader. The Somali government has appointed new police and intelligence chiefs nearly four months after their predecessors were sacked following the deadliest ever terror attack in the war-torn nation. Former Deputy Health Minister Hussein Osman Hussein has been named head of Somalia's intelligence service, while Deputy Head of Police Bashir Abdi Mohammed has been promoted to police chief in a country that faces frequent attacks by al-Qaeda-affiliated al-Shabaab militants. Their predecessors were sacked a day after an attack that left 27 people dead and just two weeks after 512 people were murdered in a truck bombing in Mogadishu. The Nigerian army is reported to have recently aborted an operation to capture Abu Bakr Shakao, the leader of the militant group Boko Haram. The BBC Stephanie Hagati has been watching footage of part of the military operation in northeast Nigeria. In a video given to us by someone involved in the operation, Nigerian soldiers are seen wandering through a makeshift camp in the Sambisa forest. They were closing in on the base of Abu Bakr Shikau when they were ordered to stop for four days. And then this happened. They were attacked by several cars filled with explosives. Seven soldiers from Nigeria and Cameroon died, and many were injured. Some of the soldiers are asking why, when they were so close, they were told to stop. 
South Africa's President Cyril Ramaphosa will this afternoon reply to the joint State of the Nation debate. His reply comes a few days after he delivered his maiden address following his election as new president last week. MPs from both the National Assembly and the National Council of Provinces debated Ramaphosa's speech on Monday. Mercedes-Percent reports. The joint SONA debate, which lasted for about 10 hours yesterday, saw political parties raising various issues, ranging from expropriation of land without compensation to the fight against corruption. What were you doing in Robben Island? Honorable Ngrozi. Honorable Ngrozi. What were you this doing time in Robben Island? I'm now left with 45. Honorable Ngrozi. I didn't hear you mention lifestyle audits. There are politicians and officials that are living well above their income and their means. Some of them are sitting here in this house as we speak. The notion of the rainbow nation is a total fallacy. The new president is expected to reply to some of these concerns later this afternoon. Meanwhile, in a bid to promote healthy living, Ramaphosa invited Cape Town residents on a walk from a sports complex to Athlone Stadium this morning. He was recently seen jogging with South Africa's former finance minister, Trevor Manuel, at Seapoint in Cape Town. Ramaphosa says he met very interesting people on the walk. Selfies, and sometimes I ask them, can I take a selfie with you? So this, this is a fantastic moment. And I want to thank you for, for being part of this uh, because this is how we continue building our nation, being healthy people, being fit, being also fit for purpose. Thank you very much. Thank you. South Africa's President Cyril Ramaphosa's reply to the State of the Nation Address debate in Parliament will be streamed live this afternoon on Channel Africa's website from 2 p.m. Central African time. Visit www.channelafrica.co.za for the streaming. And that's the news headlines at 8.30 Central African time. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na unai. Thousands of Zimbabweans thronged the Freedom Square in the capital Harare on Monday to bid farewell to opposition leader Morgan Changarai, who died of colon cancer in South Africa last week. The memorial service held in his honor turned out to be a rally, as most of those who attended were clad in the Movement for Democratic democratic change regalia. Changarai's friends, members of a civil society and various opposition party leaders gave testimonies before his body was airlifted to Buhera for burial today. Simon Muchema reports from Harare. For months, the Zimbabwean main opposition movement for democratic change MDC has been unable to hold rallies owing to poor health of leader Morgan Changrai. Changrai's last main rally was in 2013, a week before elections. But on Monday, a memorial service in his honor was held at the same venue, attracting thousands of Zimbabweans who came to bid him farewell. While those in the opposition called this open space in the capital 
Freedom Square, those in the ruling ZANU-PF call it Robert Mugabe Square. What is unique with the venue though is the fact that historic rallies by both MDC and ZANU-PF have taken place there. However, on Monday, the rally was in honor of the late Morgan Changrai, who died of colon cancer in South Africa last week. When the late Morgan Changrai's body arrived, some broke into hymns while others wept, creating a somber atmosphere. However, a song that resonates with the fact that the late Morgan Changrai was a national hero was played. Various speakers described Changrai as a hero who fought for democracy in Zimbabwe. Former cabinet minister in Zambia, Aaron Miller, said. Well, my dear, we wish you very well. May your husband's soul rest in peace. Be strong, be strong, be strong. Never give up. Great achievements will still continue. Don't give up. Thank you very much. May God bless you. Changrai's best friend from Zambia, Faxon Shamenda, who was the best man on his wedding with Elizabeth, described the late MDC leader as forgiving. I am bringing you not condolences, but to come and celebrate the life of Morgan. A good friend and a brother to me. Morgan was beaten. Morgan was mistreated by this government. When the wife died in an accident and he accepted to work as a, a prime minister, I said to him, my friend, how do you sleep in the same crow with the devil? He said, my friend, the best way we can heal our wounds is to put our differences aside. The man wanted to kill me, but I've forgiven him because revenge is with God. Professor Lavo Maduku had this to say. Very disappointing, but we accept that he's gone. He has left us a very solid legacy where we can continue with the struggle to get a better life for Zimbabweans. So we are happy that we have had Changrai. He has given us the direction and we must be able to carry it forward. Professor Atam Tambara, who deputized Changrai during the inclusive government, said. Morgan Changrai was a great Zimbabwean. Morgan Changrai was a great African. What we mean by great man? Number one, courage and bravery. Number two, service and sacrifice. Number three, determination, perseverance and persistence. Those are the major attributes of Morgan Changrai. He's gone our great man. We must pick up lessons from Morgan Changrai. The family of Morgan Changrai must unite. Zimbabweans must unite. The MTCT party must unite. Changrai's burial is expected Tuesday afternoon in Buhera, his rural home. In Harare, Zimbabwe, this is Simon Muchemwa. It's 8.12 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming.
in South Africa on the frequencies 7230 kHz on the 41-meter band to Southern Africa and on 15255 kHz on the 19-meter band to West Africa as well as DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802. Now let's go back in time to today. February the 20th in 1992 and South Africa's President F.W. de Klerk announced a date for a referendum to establish the opinion of white voters towards his political reforms. 69% of white voters voted in favor of his reforms and showed support for multi-party negotiations. That's today in history in the year 1992. Channel Africa. Kulitonjoy Addis Ababa. Silvanus Kalemera, reporting for Channel Africa in Kigali. Africa, rise and shine. I am Hilda Kekeloa in Zambia. This is Simon Muchemwa in Harare, Zimbabwe. Jean-Noel Bamwese, Channel Africa, Kinshasa. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja. This is Moki Kinzeka. In Yaoundi, informing the world about Africa. Ngatani, in Mohalizuk, Lesotho. And I am Dana Wanyonyi for Channel Africa in Mombasa. The late Zimbabwean opposition leader Morgan Changarai will be buried in his home village of Buhera this morning. His death comes months before Zimbabwe holds its first election without his longtime rival, former President Robert Mugabe, being in power. Known as a champion of democracy, Changarai fought to unseat Mugabe for over two decades. But just who is Morgan Changarai? To get a clearer picture, Morning Live's Palisa Kubisi spoke to David Moore, who is a professor of development studies and a political analyst at the University of Johannesburg. I mean, you saw the thousands of people on the streets and the, the, the speeches here. Um, you know, Julius Malema is not saying that he was a puppet of the imperialists and mm-hmm. that sort of thing. We have to think also of, of some of the problems. Morgan Shangarai didn't... Um, retire after the 2013 election. Perhaps he should have, and the succession issue could have been solved by now. We're left with all sorts of conspiracy tales about the fights, but I think that's coming together, and you can see that Nelson Chamisa looks like he's going to be the next president of the MDC, and there's a real connection there with with the people that Mm. he seems to have. Because that's what I wanted to ask you, Prof, as to Tsongarai's death, what does it mean to uh, the opposition in terms of politics there in, 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 in Zimbabwe? I mean, with the current sort of divisions that we're seeing now, do you think they'll be able to sort of make it during the elections in July? Well, I think they'll have to come together with this MDC and the alliance, which was formed, you know, a, couple, a few months ago. Tendai Biti, Welshman Nube, and their former MDC people, for various reasons, fell out with Morgan Shangarai and other members of the party. Um, it looks like they could come back together. That would again mean incredible issues for Chamisa himself and for the next Congress, which should maybe even in March, because the elections might be coming up in July. Also creates interesting issues for Munangagwa, mm-hmm. the president, who has tensions of his own with his relationship with the military. So if he wants to push the democratic agenda against the militaristic tendencies which are coming, there's going to have to be free and fair elections, 
And there will be a temptation, I think, to start making some deals with the MDC, the MDC. whatever the MDC looks like. Yeah. But the divisions within the MDC itself, mm. do you think it will sort of give an advantage to ZANU-PF and President Munangago during the elections if they're not sorted out, of course, on time? Yeah. No, no, it could very, very well do that. Um, a, a, a split opposition won't help that democratic project very much. ZANU-PF itself is, is, is not united. There's still the the G40 tendencies around there, so they have to be worried about as well. One would hope, although I, I think the temptation would be there, for some MDC people to try and link up with Joyce Majuru, the former vice president who kind of got kicked out a while ago. Um, it's going to be a very, very interesting few weeks or, or months as the opposition tries to reinvent itself and try and get back that, that vision which was there at the end of the 90s and the early 2000s to rejuvenate the, the opposition and, and take, take democracy aside. So we're likely to see a coalition government? It's possible. Possibly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But in terms of the family feuds, we know that uh, Morgan Tsongara will be buried in his home village of Buhera this morning, but we have been getting reports that there are politics within, within the family as well. Yeah, these are tension-ridden times. I mean, when somebody's dying and it takes a long, long time for them to die, I mean, it's a terrible fight with, with, with colon cancer. The tensions in the family are going to be exacerbated. And it's kind of a shame that they become involved with the politics of, of, of the party. And, of course, everybody thinks, oh, is ZANU-PF working with some parts of the family and what's, you know... What's, 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 what's going on at that level? So conspiracy theories come up, you know, the visit that Munangagwa made to Morgan Shangarai in his house in January 5th. Everybody's wondering who was really behind this. So, but I think I understand that um, the, 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 the most recent widow <laughs> and, 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 and Morgan Shangarai's mother will go to the funeral. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think with time, the, the, the real tensions and the stress disappears and people realize we should family should keep out of politics politics sure. should keep out of the family and we can go forward with a, a united front that's professor david moore from the university of johannesburg speaking to you morning lives by lisa kubisi let us all unite and celebrate together yes as indeed a joyous night. We are delighted by the overwhelming support for the African National Congress. To the people of South Africa and the world, this is indeed a joyous night for the human spirit. Your health and apathy. This year, 2018, marks a hundred years since the birth of South Africa's first democratically elected president. Nelson Kholihlahla Mandela. Join Channel Africa, South Africa's international public service radio station, as we celebrate a centenary of the life and times of Madiba. Join us in a year-long broadcast campaign in honor of Nelson Mandela's legacy through a variety of informative radio programs. Channel Africa, celebrating 100 years of Nelson Mandela from an African perspective. Leader of South African opposition, Kolb Musuwa has caused a stir in Parliament on the question of land expropriation without compensation. During the joint State of the Nation debate, he questioned whether President Sil Ramaphosa 
had sworn allegiance to another constitution when he was sworn in as president by Chief Justice Mukhweng Mukhweng last week. His question on land saw the EFF jumping to the defense of expropriation without compensation. Our parliamentary correspondent, Mercedes Bassin, tells us that the debate also focused on various issues, including corruption. Musiwale Kota is of the view that President Ramaphosa's announcement of land expropriation without compensation could be in conflict with his oath of office. You announced following uh, the Chief Justice that you would obey, observe, uphold and maintain the Constitution. The following day on Friday in the evening, you now announced in your speech that you would expropriate land without compensation. The question that confronts us is that this constitution, if, if it is this constitution that you are swearing allegiance to, it says, section 25, it says that no one may be deprived of their property. It also says where expropriation ha- happens, it must be with compensation. The question, therefore, that must arise is whether you took your oath to this constitution or to another constitution. Rising on a point of order, EFF MP Mbuise Nindlozi clashed with Likota for not supporting expropriation of land without compensation. Uh, on a point of order. We must raise the question. We must uh, raise the question. Honorable Likota, if you take are... Your, Honorable Likota, do take your seat, sir. Yes, what's the point of order? I wanted to ask uh, if Honorable Likota has been paid by fascists of the Nationalist Party to come and squash the land Honourable program Member, What alternative do you have for us Honourable, to have back the land? Honourable, Honourable, what did you go to Robben Island to Honourable, do? Honourable, Something is wrong Honourable, Honourable, What were you doing in Robben Island? Honourable Ndrozi Honourable Ndrozi What were you this doing time in Robben Island? I'm now left with 45 Honourable Ndrozi No this is sabotage. This is 1.45. I haven't spoken for a minute. And this thing is 1 minute 45 left. This is sabotage. I've been watching this thing. MPs also touched on the president's commitment to fight corruption, improve the public service, and to strengthen his cabinet. IFP MP in the NCOP Ndomu Kaula and ACDP leader Kenneth Mishwe spoke on these issues. Honorable President, good leaders surround themselves with other good leaders and good people of honesty, truthfulness, and integrity. The people of South Africa are passionately and eagerly awaiting to see the President giving this country a new image, an image of hope and prosperity. So far, this has been successfully voiced out in your words. We now need a good team around you. The ACDP calls on President Ramaphosa to show his intention to urgently root up corruption by starting with his cabinet. On Wednesday, the ACDP wants to see a new Minister of Finance giving the budget speech. We want to see captured ministers and deputy ministers who are entangled in a web of corruption investigated and arrested as soon as possible. In thanking all the witnesses who blew the whistle in the ESCOM parliamentary inquiry into state capture, the DA's Natasha Mazzoni also used the opportunity to praise Parliament's evidence leader advocate Ntutu Zelo Vanara, saying he refused to be bribed to derail the inquiry. I particularly, though, want to single out an unsung hero of this tale, a man of such virtue, such bravery, so proud of his country, 
that when he was offered a bribe and propositioned with money, the likes of which we could only dream of in the case of winning the lotto, he said, no, I choose South Africa, I choose my country duty. To you, Advocate Venara, I say thank you. May the gods bless you and may our children learn how you helped, sell, how you helped save South Africa being sold off piece by piece. You are, sir, a hero. Ahang SA parliamentary leader Andris Loyama wants President Ramaphosa to use his presidency to also correct the wrongs of the Marikana tragedy. Honorable President, you have made mistakes like all of us. Your spirit and soul were nearly amputated while serving under President Zuma, former president. Use your presidency to correct the wrongs of Marikana. While we accept the implementation of minimum wage, uh, minimum wage, you should have made pronouncement on banning labor brokers and outsourcing. The new president's vision of uniting South Africans is something which is not enough for African People's Convention leader Temba Godi. The notion of the rainbow nation is a total fallacy. We cannot accept the sugar-coated pill of continued white privilege and domination. We cannot live on feel-good and baseless hope. Finally, Comrade President, the wretched of the earth, Africans who are neglected, humiliated and undermined, whose plight must be urgently addressed. Home-based caregivers, HIV counsellors, preschool teachers, EPWP workers, headmen and headwomen, secretaries to Amakosi in KZN, workers on starvation wages outsourced to labour brokers, mining communities, ex-mine workers, our people in the farms, villages and townships like Landley in Ketwana in the Free State. But when she closed the debate, Science and Technology Minister Naledi Pando differed with Gordi. Honourable Gordi, we must never tire of pursuing the vision of building a united South Africa, a people united in their diversity. It's a vision, a dream, something I think we should not give up on. It's a task that our forebears have handed to us, and I really disagree with you that it's something we will not achieve. Of course, the most vulnerable and marginalized in our country must be attended to and provided with the appropriate support. But all South Africans should feel they belong. The debate ended just before 8 o'clock last night, and President Ramaphosa is expected to give his maiden reply to the joint SONA debate at 2 o'clock this afternoon. A humanitarian grand challenge is calling on global innovators to submit bold new ideas to help conflict-affected communities. The initiative is implemented by the charity Grand Challenges Canada with funding from the U.S. Agency for International Development and the U.K. Department for International Development. The partners will invest a combined 15 million U.S. dollars over the next five years to support innovations that enhance the effectiveness and efficiency of humanitarian assistance. For more on this, Luanda Malme spoke to Chris Houston from Grand Challenges Canada. The Humanitarian Grand Challenge was launched as a partnership between the United Kingdom Department for International Development and United States Agency for International Development and Grand Challenges Canada. And it's a humanitarian innovation program. It's a, it's a program that will 
find new solutions to help the most vulnerable people who are caught in conflict uh, across the world. We, as of today, we're looking for people to submit their best ideas about new ways to, to reach people that are caught in violent conflict throughout the world. And we're looking for ideas around water sanitation, around new ways to create energy, and new ways to get information to people, and new ways to get health supplies and services to help these people that have been affected by conflict. Now, as you correctly allude to this fact, uh, humanitarian challenges are, are, are a present and continuous uh, challenge in the world. And donor fatigue, on the other hand, it becomes a problem. Is this a way to try and, and respond to this? It's a good question. Um, yes or no. So, so there's there's donor fatigue. There's also uh, in the world a shortage of humanitarian innovation. What what we're seeing just now in the world is people doing the the same things over and over because there's there's not this initiative of innovation in the humanitarian space. So so we want new ideas um, that will be more effective, more efficient. And very importantly, to empower local people um, that, are, that are affected by crisis. So a lot of the conflict zones in the world, the international community is struggling to get access to. Um, and if you think of conflicts that are happening, Central African Republic, South Sudan, Yemen, Syria, the, the, the big international agencies, they're struggling to do what they want to do there. At the same time, there's, there's local agencies and there's local people that are helping them. And, and this is also an attempt to empower local people to, to help each other and to, to, to try and um, assist those, those local um, humanitarians to respond to these crises. Mm, you speak about innovators. How do they get involved? What is the process? Entry requirements, deadlines, etc. Take us through that process. Anybody can apply for this, but we're particularly keen to hear from people who have been affected by crisis. And we're particularly keen to encourage the private sector to take part in this. Uh, and we're keen to hear from people with humanitarian experience. Anybody can apply. You apply on the website. Um, the website is www.humanitariangrandchallenge.org. And there's an eight-week window that starts today. So anytime between now and the 12th of April, people can submit their idea. Um, and and we will give uh, preference to people that, that, that have lived experience of, of these humanitarian crises. So... People who are living um, within humanitarian crisis, refugees who have escaped it, people who have family there, diaspora communities, um, will be will be well respected and, and treated well to make such an application. That was Chris Houston of the charity Grand Challenges Canada on the line speaking to Luanda Maume. Our headlines up next with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Moussan. The headlines, the European Union mission to Ethiopia calls on the Ethiopian government to conduct dialogue among all stakeholders to resolve the political crisis. South African President Cyril Ramaphosa will this afternoon reply to the joint State of the Nation debate following his maiden address as new president last week. And the Somali government appoints new police and intelligence chiefs nearly four months after their predecessors were sacked following the deadliest ever terror attack in the war-torn nation. Those are the stories making headlines.
Aid agencies are warning of a worsening crisis in the Democratic Republic of Congo. The Norwegian Refugee Council says millions are in need of emergency aid. Many of those in need of assistance are fleeing the country. In the past two years, more people have been displaced in the DRC than any other country in the world. Armed conflicts are spreading in various parts of the DRC. The BBC's Catherine Biaruhanga is in the DRC and has been to see some of the violence there. Village after village destroyed by fighting between rival communities. Gangs of armed young men terrorize the population below. Much of Ituri province is isolated and difficult to get to. We've just arrived in the town of Blukwa and from what we understand from the UN peacekeepers here is that this has been a flashpoint in the fighting. There are several villages that have been destroyed and people have fled, leaving many of them empty. The dead had to be buried in a hurry, just before families fled. In Chukki village, many homes and businesses have been razed to the ground. 2,000 people from the Hema tribe lived here. After months of attacks by their Lendu neighbors, many ran away. A long-standing rivalry over land has been started up again with devastating results. Marie Lotsove lost everything. She tells me her home was attacked in the morning. Her and her family started running when they heard the gunshots. 26-year-old Jacques Dinou watched from the bushes while his mother was hacked to death, along with five members of his family. He sees no end to the fighting. As all our houses were burned and all our families killed by these people, how can we talk about love or good relations again between us and these people? We can't talk about love at all. UN peacekeepers have started patrols in Blukwa, which is helping to reduce some of the fighting. But many across the province have been forced to find safety wherever they can. This hospital in the city of Bunya has become an emergency shelter for thousands. It's a battle for survival. No one was prepared for this crisis, so there's little to go around. There are just a handful of organizations on the ground. Aisami Abdu, head of Médecins Sans Frontières in the DRC, says they can't cope. As a medical international NGO, what we do is mainly supporting with medical assistance. But since there is no one like dealing with other um, dimension of the crisis, like providing food to people, providing water to them, we found ourselves to be dealing with all of this. That's why really there is an urgent need for other actors to step in to scale up the level of the response. Those who have made it to safety face a new challenge, staying alive in a country that's falling to pieces all over again. The suffering here is often forgotten, and there isn't enough help for those who need it. That report by the BBC's Catherine Biaruhanga. Today is World Day of Social Justice. The day was designated by the United Nations and it aims to break down the barriers created by gender, class and race to create a world that promotes health, opportunity and justice for all. As part of activities to commemorate the day, South Africa's former public protector Tulima Donsela's foundation, in partnership with Gust- 
Kulisa Social Solutions will be taking part in a collaborative community event titled Walk in My Shoes at the Constitution Hill in Johannesburg to raise awareness around social justice issues. For more on what to expect from the event, Channel Africa's Kumbela Mujelele spoke to PJ Powers, renowned South African musician and the social justice campaign Global Ambassador. Well, I think that, um, first of all, you know, World Social Justice Day is a United Nations initiative. And I find it really strange in a country like South Africa that does have such a large marginalized population that what we, we've never, ever, ever celebrated or drawn any attention to social justice to the day of social justice. So for the first time, we're going to be drawing attention with um, Professor Tuli Vadotela, who is, of course, the, the biggest um, advocator down in Cape Town at Stellenbosch University, being the dean um, in the Justice Department. And basically, what it is, is it's to try to bridge the divide between the have and the have-nots, which unfortunately has got bigger, not smaller. So the thing to do is we are trying desperately to empower, we've got a, uh, and, and we have, we have got a lot of, um, we've got a lot of data. We empower uh, people. There's a settlement just outside of Nelspruit called Lubisi, where for the first time, young people have been mentored um, in in what they want to do. And we're discovering journalists, and you know, not just our nurse or teacher, you know, doctor, lawyer. So we expose these communities. Also, what's vitally important to know is that Kulisa Social Solutions and the Tuli Madanzela Foundation, the stakeholders are the community. So it's not a case of going in there and thinking, let's build a school. Because maybe a school is not what's required first. Maybe it's a babysitting facility, for example, that needs it's required first so that these young girls that have got babies can go back to school. They can leave their child in a safe environment. So what we do is we move from community to community. We speak to the elders, we speak to the chief, we speak to, we get permission from the people that count so that when the initiative starts, it's vastly important um, because we see unused hospitals, unused schools all over the country. And that's because there wasn't thought and the community itself wasn't consulted. So the most important thing is to consult with the community so that they get and will preserve and help build whatever infrastructure we happen to go into in that particular, with that particular venture. Now, how can uh, South Africans and uh, those living abroad participate in uh, this campaign, uh, PJ Powers? Well, it's fantastic. The support that we've had from the from expats in South Africa abroad um, is because, you know, whether you like it or not, you never become an ex-South African. You're always a South African. And we have found, um, and we've got, you know, we've got, for example, one of our women, one of our young ladies in at Lupisi is at school is being mentored by a South African who lives in Ireland now. And what we have is we've invested a lot of time and money in a, in a technology called Pivotal Talent. And what it is, is you plug... Um, that everybody, if you plug what they, they fill in forms and the exact right mentor is chosen. So a child may think they want to be a social worker, but it works out that, for example, I keep using this example, the young girl, she's decided what she'd never thought of in her life. Is that actually, she's a brilliant writer mm-hmm. and she's doing a journalism course. It's, it's all done on... Uh, 
iPads and smartphones and the men, how South Africans can get involved is by mentoring someone. You, do, you know, the thing about it is you don't have to be famous or a celebrity or whatever to be a mentor. You know, there's a person out there that's a plumber and we, because we've got loads of people. We've got 72 female farmers that are being mentored at the moment. One one young girl has just bought herself 12 pigs. It's going to be a pig farmer. And, uh, and it's, it's also involved, um, we are also deeply entrenched in respect justice. Now, do you think there is a political will on the part of our governments to promote social justice? I think that um, very happily our new president is very, very, very aware of social justice. I think that he is a man that is going to deliver a lot of very exciting things. At the moment, you know, I have such hope in my heart. I'm a Cyril Rama. I cannot wait to vote for him. And, um, you know, I think that government should be involved in social justice. Let me give you an example of government not being involved. Is They built Freedom Charter the monument to the Freedom Charter, where it says everyone is uh, entitled to housing, to clean water, to whatever, whatever, you know, all of those are Freedom Charter. Directly opposite the Freedom Charter, next to it is a five-star hotel, and directly opposite, first of all, you've got to walk over a railway with live wires, so a lot of young children are falling onto the live wires and dying, okay, because they're being electrocuted, and right opposite the Freedom Charter are in Google's, where people are living, there's one toilet, outside toilet to um, to facilitate five or six families. Service delivery is once a week. I don't have to go further to know that people should not be expected to live like this. I've written a song called Walk in My Shoes to launch this, this social justice. And my experience is that people are proud and they are they are they want change now you, you're talking about the walk in my shoes song are you gonna be singing the song tomorrow i will be with my Town babies i've turned <laughs> them all into a, a choir and i'm going to be i will be singing it it's the first time it's ever been performed in public and do you mind giving us maybe one verse <laughs> oh won't you change a walk in my shoes i'm inviting you into my world and i hope you agree that was pj powers south african musician and global ambassador of social justice campaign speaking to channel africa's kumbeda munjelele channel africa africa rise and shine i am hilda kekeloa in zambia this is Simon Muchemwa in Harare, Zimbabwe. Jean Noel Bamwese, Channel Africa, Kinshasa. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja. This is Moki Kinzeka in Yaoundi. Informing the world about Africa. in Lesotho. And I am Dana Wanyonyi for Channel Africa in Mombasa. A worrying report compiled by Johannesburg City Parks in South Africa shows that short-hole borers had decimated trees in some of the country's suburbs. Julian Ortlip, tree surgeon from TreeWorks, says he has seen infected trees in every suburb he works in. The pesky bug is said to originate from Asia and it has affected trees such as the English oak, London plain, liquid amber, kapok, Australian flame, Chinese maple, paper bark and willow.
It's called the shot hole borer. And what it's doing is it's boring into our trees and it's bringing a fungus with it, planting the fungus in the tree to feed its young and itself. And that fungus that it puts in the tree is what's killing the trees or damaging the trees and killing some, yeah. Which trees in particular are a victim to this pesky bug? The Asa Nagundo, English oak tree, liquid amber, brachychiton, and we've seen it in a few kapok trees. Are these indigenous South African trees, or are they trees uh, from somewhere else? So, interesting question. We haven't seen it in, in up until last week. We hadn't seen it in any indigenous trees, and I was just going to say that we found it last week for the first time in an indigenous tree, which was the wild olive, the, the Olea africana, and it appeared to have the borer in it. Where does it originate from? It's said to come from Southeast Asia. So how it got here, we don't know, but it has also caused huge problems in Southern California. So it has been around. Now, Julian, it appears that quite a number of these bugs and uh, other related viruses are invading our shores. Is it because of lack of security with regards to controlling measures, or is it because of the lapse of some of these security measures that are supposed to be taken in order to prevent some of these bugs, like the pesty bugs, reaching the shores of South Africa? Yeah, it's very difficult to say. Generally, they do get in here when they breach your border controls when it comes to woods entering entering a country or anything that could be a host to the problem. That was uh, Gillian Ortlip, tree surgeon from TreeWorks, speaking to Channel Africa's Wandile Kalipa. It's 8.45 and our economics update up next with Tabiso Luhoko. Good morning. A South African industry group representing mining companies has agreed to postpone a court challenge against the new regulations that included a requirement for more black ownership of mines. This follows, or rather, this to allow for negotiations with new president Cyril Ramaphosa. The uncertainty around the new rules has deterred investment into a sector that accounts for 8% of South Africa's economic output. Mining companies say many of the new rules are unaffordable while they grapple with depressed prices and rising costs. Investor confidence in South Africa has received a boost with the official launch of Isuzu Motors South Africa in Port Elizabeth in the Eastern Cape Province. The official launch follows an announcement made last year that Isuzu would purchase the light commercial vehicle operations in Port Elizabeth and also the balance of a shareholding in its Isuzu Truck South African operations. The launch also follows General Motors' disinvestment in South Africa last year as part of a broader international strategic restructuring position by the company to exit certain markets as witnessed by the recent announcement by General Motors to pull out of South Korea later this year. The Africa Energy Indaba opens in Santin, north of Johannesburg in South Africa. This flagship annual event on the African business calendar correlates with the growth in Africa energy on the continent. The conference has been instrumental in facilitating exhibits, 
discussion, debate and networking among other African governments and companies for the last 10 years. The Africa Energy Indaba Conference remains actively involved in all areas relating to showcasing solutions involving major energy projects, rural energy solutions, urbanization and energy needs and the renewable and sustainable energy industry and its management. It's estimated that 40.8 billion US dollars a year is still needed to meet Africa's power sector needs. The government of Rwanda is encouraging the masses, businesses and organizations to embrace digital payment systems to drive its global, or rather, goal of achieving a cashless economy. Already, most government services, including passports, IDs, a birth or a death certificates, are paid for online, while the business community must file tax returns online. These initiatives have also already made it easier to move and manage money. Financial inclusion is an important aspect in the drive toward poverty eradication and economic development. Different studies indicate that there is relationship between financial inclusion and human capital formation. An economic body that advises Nigeria's government is in discussion with the state oil company to determine whether gasoline is appropriately priced in the country. The price of gasoline is a highly charged subject in Nigeria, Africa's largest oil exporter. President Mohamedou Buhari in 2016 raised the top gasoline price to 0.46 billion US dollars. A 67% hike but did not remove a cap for fear of hurting people with a low income. Fuel shortages have gripped much of the country in the last few months. The U.S. dollar trades at 11.65 to the South African rand. It's at 9.31 in Botswana and at 9.86 in Zambia. It's also trading at 71 pence to the British pound, 80 cents to the euro. Gold is trading at $1,340, platinum at $1,002 an ounce. The price of Brent crude oil is at $65, so 42 cents a barrel. It's an African perspective. As World Updates up next with Neto Chamani. Thank you, Lulu, and a very good morning to you all sport fans. Starting with rugby news. Former Springbok coach Peter de Villiers has launched a scathing attack on his former employers at SA Rugby, implying that they blacklisted him and tried to prevent him from getting future employment. De Villiers was earlier this month confirmed as Zimbabwe's new head coach, but on Monday took the opportunity to hit out at the top brass of South African rugby. Meanwhile, a spokesperson for SA Rugby said de Villiers' accusations were untrue and wished him well in his new role. De Villiers' immediate task will be to attempt to help Zimbabwe qualify for the next year's World Cup in Japan, which, if successful, would be the country's first World Cup appearance since the 1991 tournament in England, where they lost all three group matches to Scotland, Ireland and Japan. 
On to football news. Kenya's Football Federation confirmed that Paul Pate has resigned as the coach of the Harambee Stars. The 61-year-old Belgian stepped down for personal reasons. Kenya's Federation said in a statement that Paul Pate's resignation is a setback to the country's ongoing 2019 Africa Cup of Nations qualification campaign. Stanley Ogumbi, who was in charge of the Harambee Stars in 2016, takes over as interim coach. South African women's under-17 team has booked their World Cup tickets for the sixth edition taking place in Uruguay. This after beating Morocco in both home and away clashes, 5-1 and 1-0 respectively, to ensure a 6-1 final aggregate score qualification to the World Showpiece scheduled from the 13th of November to the 1st of December. The ever-confident Bandwana head coach, Simpiwa Tlutlu, says they want, to be the la- they want to be on the last flight out of Uruguay at the end of the tournament. So I'm happy, President, that we will have a program to prepare us because the five Ps are very important. If we don't prepare properly, we'll get those poor results. And we are not looking to come back on the 15th or the 17th of November, but we want to come back on the last flight. And we'll only be able to do that if we prepare as a country diligently, hard, and make sure that all the stakeholders are present and supporting this course. Because for that 14-year-old, 15-year-old that is sitting there, it means the world for her to be getting on that plane. It means the world for her to be wearing that yellow jacket. That is what matters. How we make them feel is what we will get out of them, and that is the best. Africa will be represented by three countries at the World Cup, which include Cameroon and Ghana. South African Premiership side Mamelodi Sundowns coach Pizzo Musimani says Free State Stars have done extremely well this season. The two teams will meet at the Loftus Fersfeld Stadium on Wednesday evening. Stars are competing for the league honours this season amongst the big guns such as Orlando Pirates, Sundowns and Kaiser Chiefs. They are currently lying fourth on the log with 32 points from 20 matches, just six points off log leaders Sundowns and Musimani has acknowledged their good form so far. I think we have two big games, uh, two important games uh, in uh, four days' time. One is a local derby that you know. Uh, the other one, the first one, Free Sisters, uh, a difficult team. I think uh, the position on the log says who they are. Um, under normal circumstances, uh, I was looking at the log, I said, after 20, 21 games, who, who has ever thought that Free State Stars can be where they are? I mean, it's not six or seven games, it's 21 games. Um, 20 games they've played, I said, it's unbelievable. So that really shows that uh, that's a reality. That's not uh, what you can say about last season or uh, or a year back. That's reality, that's where they are. And finally, in tennis news, Roger Federer officially returned to the world number one as the latest ATP rankings were released yesterday, replacing old rival Rafael Nadal at the summit. The 36-year-old who beat Andre Agassi's record as the oldest ever number one and route to win in the Rotterdam Open title last week will now look to stretch his lead over Nadal before the start of the clay court season. Bulgarian Dimitrov's run to the final took him up one place to fourth above Alexandra Zverev, while South Africa's Kevin Anderson broke into the top 10 for the first time after winning the New York Open. Stay tuned on Channel Africa, more sports news in the next hour. Africa, rise and shine.
Afrika Zora Afrika amka na unai Recapping our top stories, an African rise and shine at this hour, Zimbabweans bid farewell to late opposition leader Morgan Changarai, aid agencies warn of worsening humanitarian crisis in the DRC, and fierce debate erupts over land reforms in South Africa. That wraps up African rise and shine today. For myself, Lulu Gabu, producers Pumutura Magadza and Khomuto Mopulane, technical producer Mario Edwards and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at info at channelafrica.co.za or tweet us at Rise Shine Africa or at Channel Africa 1 or send an SMS on 277-969-57930 or WhatsApp on 277-6300-3327. I'm taking us to the top of the hour for the news on the frequency 7230 kHz on the 41-meter band to Southern Africa is Lena Dembo with the song titled Chitekete. Thank you.